Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. First Sunday of January, and um, I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, I, I don't know if, how you feel about it or if you've gotten used to pandemic. One of the things I've been saying frequently to myself is, I'm never going to accept this thing. Okay? No way. I'm not going to, I don't want to accept that this is a new normal and that this will be normal. Um, I want to get to a better normal. And, and I hope it's that what was the normal of the past, that's not going to be our normal either. I think one of the great opportunities of this time is that we can have a new, new normal, okay? Not the normal of pre-pandemic, not the normal of pandemic, a new, new normal. That's my hope for Revive, that we can say, you know, we found out something about what it's like when we're lonely. <laughs> we found out what it's something that it's like when everybody is just angry <laughs> and judging. And we found out what something's like when just lots of good things, you think you just know how things are going to go, but that's not how things are going to go. And I hope in 2022, this pandemic is going to dissipate out in this year. But for Revive, I kind of feel like this is our first real first year. Okay? 2019, we launched. It was exciting. And then 2020 was terrible, right? But it actually wasn't. One of the things I found out about you, Revive, was that you really love your church and you really love Jesus. And you want to have a church like the kind of church that we believe God can do through the gospel. And so I'd hope that maybe that could happen in 2021, but it was all kind of like held back. But I think this is it. This is going to be the year, right? And um, so at the beginning of, the, of New Year's, uh, I, I like to preach what, is, what, what we're about. So we're going to have four weeks called Revive Vision or Vision 2022. And um, the vision of our church, if you don't know it by now, is this, okay? New life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. That's what we're all about. New life in Christ. 
for the nations of Silicon Valley. And our church is built on seven values. If you don't know them, you'll make me very, very happy if you go on our website and learn them. Okay, it's right there. Boom. And uh, one of these days, I'll have like a t-shirt and it'll have like, you know, our, our, our symbol. And then the back will have all our values or something. And then you can, then we'll stick it everywhere and you can learn them. I hope you're, some of you already know them. But that's what this sermon series is for. We're not going to do all seven just for the sake of time. We're going to do four. We do four of those values. And the first value is the most important one. That is, we're centered on the gospel. We are a gospel-centered church. And some of you are like, I've heard that. I know that. Do you? And I hope you will never think that that's uninteresting. It is the most important thing about our church. And so today, that's what I'm going to talk about. And that's the title of today's message, Of First Importance. Of First Importance. That's the title of today's message. And I didn't come up with that phrase. It's right out of the Bible, okay? So part one, what is most important? That's part one. What is absolutely of the most importance, okay, in your life? That's the question. Do you know? And you should be able to answer that question. And it shouldn't just be like, a, 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 I kind of know it, like, like a, 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 you know, oh yeah, what was that weird fact that I remembered for a midterm and now I forgot and jettisoned that in my mind. That's how my daughter tells me that's how she operates for her midterms, okay? But the midterm of life can't function that way. What is most important? It should rest in your heart and it should like make everything flow out, okay? Part two, News, not law or advice. That's a huge clue as to what the gospel is. It is news, not law or advice. And part three, the gospel changes everything, okay? The gospel doesn't give you a good religion. The gospel doesn't give you nice feelings. The gospel doesn't just forgive your sins even. The gospel doesn't just offer that. The gospel changes everything. Okay? Part one, what is most important? Um, I want to take, I want to, I want to give you uh, two phrases I learned from two of the greatest theologians of all time. All right? Some of you already know this, but you probably don't, okay? Part one, uh, first one is John Calvin. And John Calvin has this phrase about the Bible. It's very famous. It's early in his most famous book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And that book is like bestseller, multiple editions. He kept editing it. People loved this book so much it got bigger and bigger. But at the beginning, he talks about how the Bible, the scriptures, is he calls it the spectacles of life, the glasses of life, right? So some of you don't wear glasses, good for you. Some of you have perfect 2020. I, I, I kind of am so jealous of you. But when I do this, let me tell you, I could not tell you who's sitting right there. <laughs> okay? That's what it's like. So some of you know what that's like. If you don't have one of these, if you don't have the spectacles of life, glasses, if you don't put this on, you are really in trouble. Do you know that if, if I lose my glasses in my bedroom, <laughs> in my bedroom, and I know how to get around my bedroom, if I lose my glasses in my bedroom, you know what I, I have to do? I have to go 
Grace, can you please help me? <laughs> I can't find my glasses because she knows that I'm, I'm in trouble, right? Because I not only can't see my own glasses, I will not be able to see, period, right? I mean, I mean it's not, I'm not like, like terribly blind, but bad enough, right? So what does John Calvin mean by that? He means that the way you apprehend the world is through words. And those words tune your eyes and helps you see life the way it actually is. And if you do not have these glasses, then you are you're like me when these are gone. In fact, you're worse. It's actually much worse than that. You are in the dark. So it's the first thing I just want to say. So the reason I start off this way is, so I asked this seemingly very, very simple question. But you should know it's not a simple question. What's most important? What's most important? And if you do not have these, these this uh, spectacles, this glasses, you know, like, you know, you put over your eyes like this, okay? If you do not have God's truth come into your mind and give you the lens by which you can see, you're going to bump into your bedroom and hurt yourself and hurt other people. And this very seemingly simple question, what is most important, you don't know how to answer. That's the first thing I just want to say, okay? Second theologian I want to quote, I want to give you, an, um, is uh, Augustine. And he has a definition of sin, which is this. Sin is disordered loves. That's what it is. Sin is disordered love. Now in your heart, all of you love stuff, okay? I apparently love the Golden State Warriors. When I'm really, really tired, that's what I do. And if they don't have a game on tonight, that's, oh, bummer, okay? So when they postponed that game a couple days ago, I was not happy, <laughs> okay? I was not happy when they postponed that game because one of my loves was like taken from me for one night, Okay? Now, okay, in, in the grand scheme of things, Golden State Warriors, they're a nice love, but they're not that important. Okay? And so you love many things. You love, you know, you have maybe your sp favorite sports team, or you don't even care about sports. You love certain foods. My daughter came home from college. Apparently, a few weeks before she came from college, she texted my wife and had a list of foods that she wanted to eat during the month she was going to be at home. Because the food she ate at Wellesley College was apparently so lacking <laughs> that she sat there and thought about what she loved. Okay? <laughs> and she made a plan. <laughs> and she, she knew that some of these are like a lot of work. She said, Mom, I will help you. You can teach me how to do the work. And so, you know, few days ago she did it she did like part of the work and we got this really cool food because she loves this food but should food be at the top of what you love some things are worthy of more love and more priority and more attention than others right who doesn't know that everybody knows that but I just let me just point out a, a simple little fact whatever you love you will put your time, 
your energy, your focus, your money, your priority to whatever you love, right? If you love it, that's, that's where your time, energy, focus will go. If you don't love it, you won't, okay? So all of us, we kind of lie. We all lie. Daddy, I love you. And then you ignore your daddy, all right? You tell your friend how much that they're your best friend. And then they come after your studies. They come after your promotion. They come after your convenience. They come after the Golden State Warriors. Okay? So I'm not trying to make you all feel guilty. Although if you're not starting to feel guilty, then you're inhuman. I have friends, and let me tell you something, like sometimes my wife shows up. I'm supposed to love her more than anybody else on this earth except Jesus. And, and there are times I do, okay? But when my wife shows up and wants to talk about the schedule on Monday, and I'm watching the Warriors, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm sitting there like she's, <laughs> this is what's going on. And I'm sitting there going, like, when are you going to stop and go away? <laughs> and that's what happens. And I'm just giving you a really simple, basic example, which you can all understand, right? My wife is not a little more important than my sports hobby, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the Warriors are going to have a really good year. And then then they're going to suck again, <laughs> okay? They're going to be terrible again. And during this year, like, somehow, like, my heart is captured by that more than loving my wife, see? And I'm a professional Christian, <laughs> and I'm a halfway okay husband, okay? I'm a halfway okay husband, right? I'm like a B-plus husband, Occasionally, I can slip into A minus, and there's plenty of times I fall down to C plus, okay? But I'm a halfway decent husband. So the world, we are terrible at what is important. Okay. What does the Bible say? Chapter 15, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Now, I would remind you, that's what this sermon is. It is reminding you. I would remind you, brothers, that is of those who actually believe this stuff. I actually like the older, the older translation is better. I would remind you, brethren. Brethren is a, is a word, that's an old English word that means brothers and sisters. So this kind of feels like it's like, like, you know, patriarchal. It's not in the Greek, Okay. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, brethren, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received. Not all of so some of you, if you are visiting and you have not received it, thank you for coming. Love that you're here. So please listen, okay? You can find out what Christians think is important, what the Bible says is important. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The Bible teaches you that the gospel has saved you. Through the gospel, Jesus Christ has saved you, past tense. But it is our also being saved. You're also regularly, you and I are regularly falling into like foolishness. 
We could easily fall into brokenness and depravity and get lost. You easily could just lose the glasses and there you go. The gospel is regularly saving you from that. You know that? The gospel isn't... Through Jesus Christ, you have not just been saved only past tense. Regularly, you and I, in this world, we need to be saved from ourselves and our foolishness again and again. And here we go. By what you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. There's some people who just go, I believe this thing, or I think I believe this thing, and then they just walk off and, and actually just think, I just want money. That's, 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 what, that's what really matters. Verse 3. For I deliver to you, here it is, as of first importance what I also received. And here's what he received. That Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the scriptures. The Bible tells us the right way to see it, John Calvin. Died for our disordered loves. That's the Augustine way I put it. Christ died for our disordered loves. According to the Bible. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Accordance to the Bible. There we go again, right? And they appear to see fist into the twelve, and there he goes and forth. Which is to say, this is a historical event. That all these things that happened, it was not a myth. It wasn't uh, like L. Ron Hubbard wrote this book. <laughs> and if you just get Dianetics, I don't, you, get, you guys probably don't know what that is. That's Scientology, right? It wasn't like there was a myth and the stuff is happening and then, and then some esoteric truths that we don't know. But this is stuff that really happened. There was someone named Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was risen, and people saw him. 500 people saw him, right? And you know what happened there? What happened there wasn't just that somebody died and then and somehow came back to life. It isn't, not, it's nothing like what you and I, when we see it, watch a TV show, and you watch and someone died, and you go, beep, and you see that flatline thing happen, beep, and the doctors rush in with that little, you know, they punch the defibrillator down, and, and then they're, Boop, boop, boop. Oh, they, they, they didn't die. They came back from the dead. That's not what this pastor is talking about. That Jesus Christ died and then he came back to never die again. He came back and he defeated death. He came back, he killed death. He came back, he killed sin. He came back and in him was a human being. The Son of God, God himself, became human so that a human could never die, could never be corrupted, and could live forever and ever with that which is most beautiful and good. This is the message of the gospel. And all of this is of first importance. It's the most important thing. Okay? So, let me say the gospel a little more simply. I'll give you the... One of my favorites, it's, 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 it's a Tim Keller version, okay? Jesus Christ came to live the life 
you should have lived, died the death you deserve to die, and to give you a new life you and, you and I could never gain or earn on ourselves. And that new life is a never-ending life. That's the gospel. It's of first importance. It seems pretty simple, isn't it? I just said it, boom, just like this. We teach it to our kids, our five-year-olds. We could probably teach, teach our five-year-olds, hey, what's the gospel? And then they can spit it out. And if, they, when, if that happens, I'd be like, yes. Yes, Joe's a good pastor. <laughs> All right? Okay, and if, that, if your kid could do that, you're like, yes. And maybe they don't have it. They're kind of getting it in their head, just kind of getting in there. It's like, ugh, it's getting in there. And then it's starting to come down here. And it seems so simple. And if a five-year-old can get it, how can it be of first importance, of most importance? Oh, but it is. It is. Let's go to part two. I want to tell you a little something about the gospel, um, which um, you can't really say it often enough. Um, our church is a gospel-centered church. You get the gospel every week in this church service, every single week. You actually, if we did it right, you would get it multiple times. You'd show up in the service, and you would hear it at least in one of the songs. Maybe twice. Maybe three times, right? Somebody up here will probably pray and say, thank you for Jesus who died for us and gave us new life. That's the gospel. <laughs> and then, of course, the person who comes up here when he preaches will give you the gospel. Most often, it's usually me, right? And so you'll hear it many times. But in a church where you hear the gospel a lot, you know what I've often found? That the average member of the church still can't, if you ask them, what's the gospel? They, they can't exactly tell you. Now let me tell you, I want to be really super clear about this. Sometimes when we say we're the gospel, sometimes people think gospel is Christianity. The gospel is not Christianity. The gospel is one portion of Christianity. It's the most important part of Christianity. Okay? The gospel is not a bunch of rules. It's not all the doctrines. Let me tell you what the gospel is. It's one piece of news. That's what it is. The gospel literally means good news. Good news. It is not a law. It does not tell you, like, do X, Y, Z. It is not advice. It is not right and wrong. It is something has happened. <laughs> something that has happened that makes all the difference in the world. It'll make all the difference for you. Can you believe it? <laughs> That's the gospel. And it is this news that God cares about us so much that he lowered himself so that it's possible that a human life could conquer all sin and death and never die and never lose all that is wonderful and good be with God forever. That's the news. And it's through this person, Jesus. So at the center of the gospel is what God did through Jesus, but it's what he did. It's something that's happened, right? And it changes everything. Now, why is this so, so important? I want to just make two comments about this that's so, so important. Number one, every worldview, every religion 
they just can't imagine. They always think about God. And as soon as they think about God, it doesn't matter what they think about that God, who that God is. Whether they call him Allah, or they call him Krishna, or they call him Vishnu. It doesn't matter whatever they name that God. That God is somewhere else. And then believing in that God is all about what you must do. It's all about what you must do. Every religious worldview is not primarily about what the God has done for us. It's primarily about what you must do for him or it. That's the difference. Every other religious worldview is that way. And by the way, this is very interesting too. Some of you are sitting there going, but I'm not religious. I don't believe in Allah or Vishnu or Buddha. I certainly don't believe in Jesus, right? So I'm not religious. Ah, but you're secular, and inside of your secular, you believe in some religion. And inside of your religion, you know who has to make everything good? You. <laughs> you. Every religious worldview is about what you must do. You do this, 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 and this. Do this, 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 and this. It's law. It's advice. Every religion of the world is filled with law, advice. And if you don't do it, judgment, and guilt. So it's very strange. When I was growing up, lots of people who didn't like Christianity would say, Christianity will fill you with guilt. It's all judgmental and guilt-ridden. And those same people, then they grow up, then they go to college, and then they stick all these laws on you. That's not from any holy book. It's from some university or from the New York Times or from their professor or from some book they read in college. And then they stick that on you. And then it's filled guilt. It's filled judgment. So it's a very strange thing that there's a lot of religion inside of secularity. And you know what? It's not surprising. It's not surprising at all. Right? But here's where the gospel is different. It's not about what you do or what you have done or what you must do. It's what someone else has done for you, okay? That's so important. It is absolutely important. And here's the other thing that's so unbelievably strange about the gospel. You get all this good stuff by grace. <laughs> okay, some of you are like, okay, I, I, I heard that. I know you heard that. I've met Christians who know this in their head. They've heard that you've been given many, many good things by grace through Jesus Christ. You know how you get it by grace? By believing it. By faith. Faith plus going to church a thousand times? No. Faith plus something else? No. It's not faith plus anything. It's faith. That's it. Believe it. Believe it. Receive what Jesus has done for you. If you receive that, you're a Christian. That <laughs> You're actually a Christian. You're like, am I actually a Christian? I'm so bad about going to church. I don't even know how to pray. I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm such a bad Christian. Because you still think Christianity is primarily about what you do. <laughs> See, everybody thinks Christianity is about what you do. We all go like, I got to do Christianity. And since I'm going to do Christianity then it's all about works. 
But actually, you know how you enter into the door of becoming a Christian? What we call being a born-again Christian? By faith. Purely by faith. By believing in what Christ has done for you and receiving Him. That's it. That's all there is to it. And it's crazy. I could say this to him blue in the face, and I already know the, Christian, the Christians, <laughs> not the non-Christians, the Christians, they believe it, but somewhere deep in our heart, it's so weird. It's so radical. We're always trying to turn it into some other religion. And the most important thing is this, that God has done this for you and it'll change everything about you. If you put on the spectacles of the glasses through the gospel, it'll change not just whether you, go, you, you become religious or whether you become nicer or how you think. It'll change how you think about your money. It'll change how you think about your body image. It'll change how you look at different skin color people. It'll change how you think about poverty. It'll change how you think about how you hate somebody and you really hate them and they really deserve to be hated. It'll change that. It'll change your feelings. It'll change everything. And it's not because you make it happen. It's because you believe it. <laughs> That's the crazy part of it. Not law or advice, but news. Can you believe the news? Um, I'm going to close by just talking about one really important way how the gospel changes everything. Okay? So, there's so many ways. Every single Sunday, let me just give you a little like a tip on what I do up here. Okay. I'm going to give you um, a little... Um, how the, how, the, how the sausage is made from the preacher's point of view. I stand up here and first tell you why you're messed up. <laughs> why we're all messed up. I tell it to you and I do the best I can so you feel it. I use some illustration. On any given Sunday, some of you are going like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's me. Okay, 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 fine. Some of you go, oh yeah, I heard this before. I heard this before. Okay, 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 pastor, get on with it. And some of you will hear it and go, and it cuts you right down in the middle of yourself. And you will feel horror and embarrassment and shame when I talk about that part of the service. First part of the sermon, usually it's the first part. It isn't always the first part. First part of the service I cut you. <laughs> I cut you. The Bible is a sword. And I cut you deep. And because you know what we do? We always put all this piles and piles of like garbage on top. Because <laughs> the thing inside that's so messed up, the thing inside that's so gross, we can't let that out. So what I do is I Use the Bible so you can see it again. You put these on, see yourself for what you are, and you're like, oh gosh, there it is. It's pretty bad. And then you know what I do? Then I tell you what Jesus has done for you. And you did not deserve it. It's all by grace. 
If you're in a good place that day, you're going to go, oh my goodness, yes, thank you. And if you've been going three or four or five weeks, anxiety about your performance at work, angry at your brother, or angry at your wife, or looking down on poor people, at that moment, you will say, I am terrible, but God has loved me instead of hated me. It's the gospel. <laughs> and then, one more thing I offer to do. The gospel has benefits. The gospel has promises. Many, many promises. And those promises help you see the world as it should be. Not the world as it is, but the world as it should be. And let me tell you something else. The world as it will be. <laughs> the world as it will be. And let me tell you, nobody's ever going to stop it. What the gospel tells us how the world will be. And when you can believe in those promises, and tomorrow, like today, it's not like that. Today, it's not like that. It's not like that in my life. It's not like that in my heart. It's not like that in my wife. It's not like that in my neighbors. It's not like that in my country. It's not like that in my culture. It's far from like that. It's awful. It's horrible. Hmm? But because we're living in all this awful, you're like, I'm awful. I suck. Wait a second. My wife, dang, why she's been really bad to me the last two weeks, right? You know, like, I just hate those Republicans. I just hate those Democrats. I just hate my professor. I hate my boss. They're screwing me. And I can't do anything about it. Okay. And you can, you're inside the midst of all this stuff. And this is your life. This is a normal life. And you know what? But there's a news. And there's a promise inside that news. And every single week, I tell you, that, I tell you some piece of that promise from the gospel. And for some of you, that piece of promise is the one that you really, really need to hear, hear. Some of you are like, I heard that before. Thanks, Pastor. That's good. I need a good reminder. And then I'm going to go. Now I'm going to go to in and out <laughs> Okay? And then you'll forget about it by the end of dinner. But some of you will go, wow, I really, really need to hear that promise. And the seed of life where you were dying inside will like start to sprout up and start to, something will glow. It was like wilting and dying inside of there. And then like, like life is starting to happen. So this is pandemic season and America's been terrible. It's been awful, right? So let me close with this promise. It's a really basic promise but I'm going to tease out some of its implications. You are never going to die. You will never be poor. You will never be excluded. You will never be, you will never be shamed. And everything that you are ashamed of in your life will be washed away. And everybody right now who thinks you're the worst at this, this, or that. You're the ugliest person that they know. You're the stupidest person they know. They despise you for this, this, or that. And you despise them back 
And then, but partially, part of the reason you despise them is because they know this about you. And you kind of deep down know that they're right or half right. And right now in this world, whatever they think is so crappy about you is true. And you know that and you hate that they know that. Here's one of the promises of the gospel. That'll all be gone. One day it'll all be gone. And it'll be gone for you. It'll be gone for all your neighbors and your friends. I'll tell you a couple things I've been thinking about over the last few weeks um, and over the last few months. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, I watched the Democratic Party get ugly and awful. And then I watched the Republican Party, in reaction, get ugly and awful. And I said, this is our country. I watched Christians, Christians, some who've been friends for a long time and for many, many years, say, that's it, you're not my friend anymore. Because you're so bad, you believe in that bad thing over there. It's unjust or it's racist or something. So let's just take a time out for a moment. Let's say it's true. Let's say it's true. The people over here are racist. The people over here are intolerant. Okay? Let's say it's just true. Both sides actually see something in the other side. And there's some kernel of truth to it. And that sin and that stain and that grossness, there's actually some reality to it. And then let me tell you something else I've seen. Even when the people are right, they're right in the most terrible way. They're right, not with a real righteousness, they're right with anger and condemnation, not toward forgiveness. And so, I started thinking about this. I started thinking about some of my Christian friends who are so... <laughs> They're my Christian friends who are really, I, I'm close to these people. And some of them are like, oh gosh, this person is acting like such a jerk. This person is acting like such a jerk. And I was getting like. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, but the real truth of first importance, of first importance is that America will be no more There'll be no more Democrats. There'll be no more Republicans. There'll be no more self-righteousness. And one of these days, this friend and this friend, and right now they're hating each other, and they're Christians. <laughs> they will all look back, and they will realize that the thing is, is of first importance was the, truly the most important truth. And they will look upon their souls and all their self-righteousness and they'll go, man, that was really stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> and they will laugh and they will cry. And then they'll hold up a beer, whatever heavenly beer taste looks like, and clink and they'll embrace because Jesus is risen and our sins are gone. And this is forever. This is forever.
Is that a fairy tale? Is it? In this world, we are used to death. We're used to scarcity. The warrior's on right now, babe. Okay, I don't actually say that to her because then she'd look at me and, and it would become very obvious that I'm, I'm, I'm being a real jerk. Okay? So I have to put on a little bit of my, you know, self-righteousness. I've got to try. Okay? But the love and the goodness will be there forever and ever and ever. There's no scarcity. There'll be no scarcity of money. Nobody will overlook you, push you down, reject you. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be true justice, true righteousness. No more fake, no more two-faced, no more like ghosting you on social media or canceling you because you said the wrong stuff or did something bad 10 years ago. You actually did stuff that were bad yesterday and 10 years ago. And the world, everybody will love you. Because Jesus has won. And to live in the gospel, to live in the gospel is to say, that world is coming. And so I'm going to live in that world now. <laughs> I'm going to live in that world now. Because if you think I'm stupid, or if I lose my job, or you reject me, and it's painful today, you know what? But you're wrong. You're the fool. You're the one who's really foolish. You can hoard your money, but I won't. You could be unforgiving and judgmental, but that world is coming. And I'm going to live in this because Jesus has won. This is his world. And I want to live in his world. And of course, you and I are terrible at this. <laughs> okay? We're terrible. We're terrible at making this a, a first verse all the time. But you know what we're going to do in 2022? All of us who are centered of the gospel, we're going to learn how to do it. Bit by bit, we're going to let this grow in us. The promise of the gospel grow in us. And we're going to live under the news of the victory of Jesus and give this kind of radical goodness to others which he has given to us. And we'll see the gospel start to do stuff in our city and in us that we, didn't, we always just like, it's amazing. You know what Christianity is? It's watching the gospel make cynical, prideful, sin-filled, people throw away their scarcity and live in the promise. Nothing's going to stop this. It's a revived church. I dare you to believe the gospel again. I dare you to believe the gospel again. And let's see what Jesus does when we believe in him. All right, let's pray and let's go to the table of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you have done for us what is of first importance. And we live 
according to the glasses of our own wisdom, of our own quote-unquote truth, which is another way to say we live according to our own lies and half-truths. And we're so filled with love for small things, trivial things. We're so filled with money and sports and pleasures and nice clothes and nice hairs and flat stomachs instead of that you have done something so glorious, holy by grace, and something so glorious is coming that we can live in and for from you. Thank you that you could do this and you would do this. And Lord, if I'm honest, this cynical, skeptical, 21st century intellectual in me, I'm like, how can I believe this stuff? It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. It's like a fairy tale. But there's no fairy tale like this. And no fairy tale said that 500 people saw you, that it happened that it's real and that you are about the world to make this all come about. So as we go to the table of the Lord, your table, we come into your house and your words become our food. Would you be united and come into our souls through your body and through your blood by the gospel? and make us come alive with eternal life and to live inside of the promise of the most stupendously, absurdly, outrageously, incredibly good news, the gospel. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen.